Welcome to Apologetics with Brian O'Connell, where in each episode I answer difficult questions that confront Christianity. In today's episode, we're going to continue our discussion on the topic of origins, asking the question, how did we get here? To answer this question of origins, we're going to look at two fields of science to see if these fields support the Christian worldview or the evolutionary worldview. The fields that I'm going to talk about are physics and biology. In the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, we read, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This first verse is very revealing. It shows that God is the creator of everything. Throughout the Bible, it's revealed that God has no beginning and no end. These verses, as well as others that are found in the scriptures, show us that the God of the Bible is not a created deity or something that's evolved to a state of godhood. The God of the Bible is eternal, the creator of heaven and earth, and he holds all things together. Not only that, but the God of the Bible is not affected by time, space, and matter. In fact, he is completely outside of time, space, and matter and is the creator of them. Dr. Hugh Ross, in his book, Creator in the Cosmos, points out that out of all the world's holy books, the Bible is the only one that provides a journal-like record of the Earth's initial conditions correctly described from the standpoint of astrophysics and geophysics. He explains that not only did each of the other holy books of the world's religions read like a bizarre creation myth, they each made statements that were clearly at odds with established history and science. I think that Dr. Ross makes an excellent point here, especially when you compare the holy books of the world's religions with the Bible. The Bible says more than just God created the heavens and the earth. In fact, the first 31 verses of Genesis goes into a detailed account of what God did on each day. For example, in Volume 1 of their Modern Creation Trilogy, Dr. Henry Morris and Dr. John Morris details what God did during the creation account. They write that first was the energizing of the physical elements in the cosmos. Second, the formation of the atmosphere and hydrosphere on Earth. Third, the formation of the lithosphere and biosphere on Earth. Fourth, the formation of the astrosphere and its heavenly bodies. Fifth, the formation of life in the atmosphere and hydrosphere. And sixth, the formation of life in the lithosphere and biosphere. It's clear from what John and Henry Morris have explained that the Bible does more than just say that God created the heavens and the earth. These first 31 verses in the book of Genesis give an account of creation that coincides with what we should expect to see in science. These verses provide further proof for the creationist that God is the creator and cause of the universe and life on earth. Not only that, but that the Christian Bible says things that's supported by science. Now, you might be thinking, Brian, this seems like a bit of a stretch. You might be thinking this because your whole life 
you've been told that the Bible contradicts sound science. If you've watched shows like Bill Nye the Science Guy or listened to people like the late Carl Sagan or others, you've been told that evolution is fact, whereas the belief in a God and creation is ridiculous. So which worldview is correct? In the last two episodes, I've made the claim that creationism and intelligent design provides the best evidence for the existence of the universe in all of life. In this episode, I just explained how in the first 31 verses of the book of Genesis, it shows how the creation account agrees with science. The problem with my argument, though, is that it's circular. I'm claiming that you should believe the Bible because the Bible says so. Now, I do think that you should believe the Bible because the Bible says so, or rather, because I understand the Bible to be the words of God, and therefore, I think you should believe the Bible because God tells you to believe and trust Him. However, I also understand that this claim might not be sufficient for you. This brings up another question. Is there any evidence outside of the Bible to support the claims that I've been making? Especially since educated people like Bill Nye, Carl Sagan, and others claim that there isn't. Yes, in answer to this question, there's a lot of evidence outside of the Bible to support my claims. In fact, let's now turn our attention to the field of physics where we will see evidence that supports the Christian worldview. Evidence that the universe was created and did not evolve. That the universe had a beginning and has not just always been here. We see evidence of this within the first and second laws of thermodynamics. These two laws agree with what's shown in the creation account that I've just described and therefore acts as evidence for intelligent design. If you're unfamiliar with these laws, the first law of thermodynamics states that energy can neither be created nor destroyed. All energy in the universe stays the same while changing from one type to another. For example, a log that's burning in a fire is simply changing from its solid state into smoke particles. However, the total mass and energy for the log after it's been burned is the same as it was before it was burned. Physics professor Dr. Don DeYoung makes the following point. He writes, Energy conservation implies that the universe did not start up by itself. Energy decay further implies that this universe cannot last forever. Secular science has no satisfactory explanation for such laws of nature. These principles simply transcend natural science. Their origin is supernatural, which by definition does not require a long time to develop. The addition of long ages of time is an unnecessary and confusing complication. I think that Dr. DeYoung makes an excellent point here, and I think it's clear that the first law of thermodynamics is significant in the evolution versus intelligent design debate, because this law disproves the claims of the evolutionists that everything evolved from nothing and that the universe has just always been in existence. This law shows that these two claims cannot possibly be true. The second law of thermodynamics deals with entropy. 
This law states that over time, disorder will increase. The significance of this law of thermodynamics is that it disproves the claims of evolution that life is a result of natural processes that have evolved over billions of years from simple organisms into complex organisms. This law states that the opposite of what evolutionists claim is true. We see this breakdown all around us. For example, if a 1977 Volkswagen bus is left out in a field for a thousand years, it's not going to undergo evolutionary processes to transform from its current 1977 body style into a more complex body style with an upgraded engine. Instead, the scientific process that would transpire is called entropy. The Volkswagen bus would begin to rust and fall apart over time. This law is clearly observed all around us and agrees with the biblical account that God created the heavens and the earth and that because of sin, the earth is experiencing disorder. Regarding entropy and the second law of thermodynamics, Stephen Hawking, the famous theoretical physicist from England, wrote the following. If your theory disagrees with the second law of thermodynamics, it is in bad trouble. In fact, the theory that the universe has existed forever is in serious difficulty with the second law of thermodynamics. The second law states that disorder always increases with time. Like the argument about human progress, it indicates that there must have been a beginning. Otherwise, the universe would be in a state of complete disorder by now. Stephen Hawking's quote here is clear. The belief that the universe has always existed is absolutely false. Not only that, but to believe that simple organisms evolve into complex organisms completely contradicts the second law of thermodynamics. Regarding these laws that govern the universe, the famous physicist Albert Einstein wrote the following, We are in the position of a little child entering a huge library filled with books in many different languages. The child knows someone must have written these books. It does not know how. It does not understand the languages in which they are written. The child dimly suspects a mysterious order in the arrangement of the books, but doesn't know what it is. That, it seems to me, is the attitude of even the most intelligent being towards God. We see a universe marvelously arranged and obeying certain laws, but only dimly understand those laws. Our limited minds cannot grasp the mysterious force that moves the constellations. Now, I should note that Einstein did not believe in the God of the Christian Bible. However, it's clear from this quote that Einstein saw evidence for a creator because of the fine-tuning that he observed in the universe. Besides the first and second laws of thermodynamics, I could give many other examples from the field of physics that support the creationist worldview. But the ones that I've just given 
clearly prove that the evolutionary explanation for the existence of the universe is false and not supported by science. Not only that, but these examples that I've just given clearly bolster the claims of the Bible that the universe was in fact created. I now want to turn our attention from physics to biology. In the field of biology, there are incredible examples that point to intelligent design and therefore a creator. For example, due to the advancements in technology, microscopes such as the X-ray scanning electron microscopes now give scientists an even greater opportunity to look at incredibly small molecules. In fact, Dr. Hugh Ross points out that these microscopes are so powerful that they can map complex biological molecules down to the level of the individual atoms that make up the molecules. What's so significant about this? Well, when Charles Darwin wrote his masterpiece, The Origin of Species, it was believed that cells were fairly simple and not complex. However, this is no longer the case. Technology has drastically changed and improved over these past 162 years. Now, whenever microbiologists look through the lens of their microscope, they are confronted with designs so complex that they have difficulty explaining it away. For example, Dr. Ross reveals that one of the earliest molecules to be mapped was the crystal structure of the F1 ATPase enzyme. The Japanese team that produced the map discovered nature's own rotary engine. This tiny motor includes the equivalent of an engine block, a drive shaft, and three pistons. Besides this enzyme, scientists have observed other proofs for intelligent design. In his book, Darwin's Black Box, biochemist Dr. Michael Behe details the parts of the bacterial flagellum. Through the detailed diagram that's given, it's shown that the flagellum is similar to a rotary engine designed by engineers. The propeller is driven by a small rotor and contains parts that would be found in any rotary engine. For example, the flagellum contains a universal joint, a rotor, bushings, a stator, drive shaft, and a propeller. Another example of how science has supported the claims of the Bible comes from research that has been conducted by geneticists and molecular biologists. This research shows that all human beings came from two people. Scientists are calling these two individuals Y-chromosomal Adam and mitochondrial Eve. Mitochondrial DNA is perfectly passed down from mothers to their children. In other words, the mitochondrial DNA that is in your genes came from your mother, who inherited her mitochondrial DNA from her mother, and so on. And this can be traced all the way back to the person they call mitochondrial Eve. These scientists were able to trace the mitochondrial Eve based on the mutations that occur within our DNA. Scientists are able to group these distinct mutations into a genetic genealogy. For example, when scientists see the same mutation within a large group of people, they're able to determine that each of these people share a common female ancestor. The same process is applied to the Y chromosome in determining a common male ancestor. 
Now, although the evidence is pointing to every human being coming from a common female ancestor and a common male ancestor, there are scientists that argue that mitochondrial Eve and Y-chromosomal Adam did not live during the same time. In fact, they argue that there must have been other human beings that existed at the same time and that it was just the DNA from Y-chromosomal Adam and mitochondrial Eve that lasted and transferred. However, this is just another example of scientists being affected by their worldview. The evidence is clearly pointing to mankind coming from one man and one woman. But because this evidence corresponds with what the Bible teaches, these scientists reject it. Instead of following the evidence to where it leads them, they follow the evidence and then they make up information that is based on their own worldview and not based on any actual scientific evidence. The scientific evidence is showing that all humanity came from two people, Y-chromosomal Adam and mitochondrial Eve, which is exactly what the Bible teaches. The fact that these scientists are completely ignoring the evidence and are instead being driven by their evolutionary and materialistic worldview is made clear by their own words. In a previous episode, I already shared a quote from Dr. Richard Dawkins where he says that biology is the study of complicated things that gives the appearance of having been designed for a purpose. Statements like this show that there is clear evidence for design in biology and that scientists like Richard Dawkins are simply ignoring the evidence in order to hold to their own worldview beliefs. Sadly, the views of Dawkins are not isolated. For example, in his book Signature in the Cell, Dr. Stephen C. Meyer reveals this same approach to science by Francis Crick. If you're unfamiliar with this name, Francis Crick was one of the discoverers of the DNA double helix, and he wrote the following, Biologists must constantly keep in mind that what they see was not designed, but rather evolved. Did you catch that? What Crick just said is that even though all of the evidence points to life being the result of intelligence and design, he's claiming that it's important to ignore the evidence and tell yourself that everything you're looking at evolved and was not designed. But how is this honest science? How can people claim that science has disproved the existence of God when these scientists are actually admitting that life seems designed? More than that, and according to the quote that I just read from Richard Dawkins, the evidence is actually showing that life has the appearance of having been designed for a purpose. Statements like this from Richard Dawkins or the one by Francis Crick show that science has not disproved the existence of God. Statements like these reveal that science is clearly pointing to his existence. As I bring this episode to a close, let me just restate a point that I've been making throughout this and the last couple of episodes, which is that the universe 
and all of life exists because it was created by an intelligent creator, because it was created by the God of the Bible. This is not a baseless claim. In fact, the evidence that I have presented in this and the last couple of episodes clearly shows that belief and an intelligent creator is no longer a statement of faith, but rather a logical belief backed by science. That's all the time that we have for today. Come back next time as we look at other fields of science to see how they point to a creator. God bless.